Hi, welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today I want to talk about who am I? And this is an interesting question that I was thinking about this morning because who I am today is not who I was 10 years ago. And I was thinking about how I changed, like what changed me. I, my whole life, the first 42 years of my life, I always said adamantly that nobody changes. People can't change. That's what it, that's the quote. People can't change. People don't change. And, um, and that had always held true for me from my perspective. And it wasn't until I went through the first couple of years of sobriety and took a look in the mirror and realized, huh, I don't think I can say that anymore because I have changed. Um, and I felt it just through and through that I have changed. And the, the more I was interacting with other people who knew me well, um, they told me that I had changed, you know, it started with, uh, how, you know, my appearance started changing. Um, you know, I got color back in my skin. Um, I put some weight on and then it started being apparent on the inside, um, specifically in my way that I communicate. Um, the, my word choices, my mood. And so I thoroughly believe now that I was wrong. People do change. And I think it, it all starts with communication. You know, that's how I ended up beginning my journey of recovery was communicating to another human being, uh, life-saving communication that, um, that I needed help, that something was wrong and I needed help. And as I entered into this sobriety program, you can see the word God like all over the place. And I thought, well, this is just you know, maybe this, I'll try it, but I'm not digging this whole God-centered thing, you know, like, is it a cult? I, I don't want to be a part of this. But I gave it a chance. I was willing. I was gifted with willingness. And, um, and the more that I heard other people talking about how they handle this concept of God in the sobriety program, the more I was willing to, to build my own conception of God and my higher power and all that. I didn't know when I first walked into these meetings that, that I got to pick and choose and make my own 
decisions about what faith means to me. And what I learned is that there were people in the room, there are people in those rooms that, um, that don't believe in God at all. And there are people who have spent their whole lives Catholic and they, they, you know, they were no better off than me at this alcoholism problem. It wasn't like God was, you know, that, that they had a better chance of getting and staying sober than me. And so I, even more, I started listening and, and having faith in the program just by watching other people. So, um, over, over this time that I've been in sobriety, I have found that being able to talk to other like-minded people, other people that suffer from the same disease as me, gives me, um, you know, a comforting environment. And I can talk uh, with candor. I, I don't feel alone. I used to go to parties and, you know, hang out with my friends at bars and stuff. And man, I was in a, in a sorority that had like 50 some people in it. And I would sit in, in, you know, one of our meetings for our sorority and I felt alone sitting in the, you know, sit, we were all sitting in a gigantic 50 or so person circle on the ground. And I felt alone. In the, in, in the midst of all of those young women. And it wasn't really until I was uh, open and honest with one person and communicated that I needed help that the door just cracked open slightly. The the ability to, you know, I like I realized that when I talk, I can connect with somebody else, that the world isn't out to get me, that people do care. I, I feel like throughout my life and throughout my drinking that I just built this more and more built this understanding that I need to protect myself and nobody cares about other people the way that I do. Um, I think it's because I, the more that I was allowed myself to be vulnerable around people, the the more I was getting hurt, uh, the more that I realized that everybody is just out for their own good. That's what I felt like. And I was proved right so many times that I felt like, okay, well, I guess this is what 
growing up is. This is what life really is with other people. And, um, and I have to, I have to learn how to be brave and strong and I have to continue to build this thick skin around me and protect myself. And so that's what I was doing until it seemed like a job that was so overwhelming and I clearly could not get my fit, uh, my skin to be thick enough. And that's where alcohol came in. It added a layer. It numbed a layer around me so that things didn't hurt so bad. Or maybe they hurt, but I didn't feel it so much. You know, the impact, it was still hitting me, but it didn't. It didn't jar me as far, you know? I got loose, you could, uh, you could push me around and I kind of just would, would go with the flow and bounce back a little better when, when I had um, alcohol in me. And so today I absolutely find that my disease of alcoholism was a rare gift that I was given. It was a gift of extreme suffering that enabled me to grow bigger and faster than I ever would have if I wasn't an alcoholic. It also is a gift that allowed me to be able to connect with other people uh, just like me so that I could finally stop feeling alone, that I could finally feel like I was a part of something. Um, and I feel like that, that feeling of being alone and, and not a part of, this is just, again, another like learned concept I had in my life where I just wasn't good enough. You know, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't good at whatever it is enough. And, and when I have entered into sobriety, I've been able to recognize that there is something that I'm good enough to be at, you know, and, and that's all that mattered in the beginning was that there were people that accepted me no matter what. But the only way that I could figure that out was to open my mouth and share about what was going on inside me to get vulnerable. And, um, so there is just this incredible importance for me around making sure that I share my experience, strength, and hope. So in the beginning, it was just sharing my experience. And by sharing my experience, I, again, the door just cracked open a little bit. I realized that 
um, by saying just a few words and mentioning that I'm in pain, um, by shedding a tear and having nobody judge me for it made me feel just, just a little bit better. And so I wanted to do it again. And I was so nervous to share. Um, I, I spent so much time thinking about what I was going to say if, if I shared that I almost stopped listening to what other people were saying. Um, but I found out later that that's completely normal, that there are a lot of people, I mean, it's not like getting up on a stage and, and taking on a role as an actress. You're not showing any vulnerability uh, uh, to a degree, you know? Um, I did a little, a little bit of acting when I was in high school and I was really good at it. I won some awards and I regret, I do regret, <laughs> I'm not supposed to regret things, but I do regret not um, choosing to pursue that in college because I was good at it. And I had a healthy level of anxiety about it. Um, but this, you know, it's easier to stand on the stage and be somebody else than it is to sit in a room and be yourself and talk about what's going on inside where that nobody can see. You know, how many times throughout the day do you actually tell somebody what's going on inside of you? Stuff that they can't see. Um, I never used to do it at all. If I did, I was drunk and I don't even remember what I was sharing, you know? And who knows how much I may have stretched the truth or exaggerated or, or something like that. I, I don't recall lying, like straight up lying at all, but um, I guess stretching the truth is lying. Um, exaggerating, like my, my uh, sister-in-law says, anything that comes out of my brother's mouth, cut it in half, and it's the same for me. <laughs> Um, so being able to start talking about what nobody else can see inside of you is where the freedom is. And by going to a sobriety meeting every single day, it allows me to live that one day at a time. Um, way of living. By going at 7 a.m. to my meeting, I'm able to talk about what's on my mind and in my heart today, just for today. And so it's really, uh, it's daily therapy um, for my emotional state, uh, for my mental health. And I don't know why I, um, I get to be one of the lucky ones that 
where it's stuck. There's so many people that I know um, that I've interacted with in my sobriety program over the years who, who aren't here anymore. Um, there was a guy that I sat next to in my IOP program who I became really good. I mean, I felt like we were friends. We were really good friends. He was one, he was probably the person I felt the closest to in that IOP program. And, um, and I found out later that he died and, um, I still have his phone number on my phone, you know? Um, and then my friend that died a year and a half ago, he drank himself to death. That is my understanding. I haven't dug too much into it, but I did follow up uh, later just to, I know they were doing an autopsy and, and that that's what the conclusion was. At least that's what I was told. So um, these, the fact that I'm, I'm still sitting here and have been gifted with the opportunity to show up every day and practice this is why I'm so committed to these habits that I have. I do the same thing every day because, for example, yesterday I did it and I was sober yesterday. So I'm going to do it again. So I do it and I'm going to do it tomorrow, you know? And by practicing honesty in the program, I, I don't have to be afraid of being accepted for who I am because I started out that way. I started out with a really short share, crying, of course, because I couldn't stop myself because I just had so much pain inside me. And, uh, and when I got this positive, comforting response, I knew that I could show up the next time and be honest and I would be accepted for who I am. And what I was reminded of this morning was when I was in... I really throughout my whole childhood into, I mean, throughout, I guess forever, I guess I've always done this. I, I tend to become friends with somebody and I absorb some of their personality, you know, some of their quirkiness, I'll start doing it. It's almost like when I went to school, uh, my roommate, my, my just favorite person <laughs> in college she uh she had a really really thick southern accent and so when I would come home for breaks I had like this southern accent and people could hear it and uh it's not something that I purposely said oh I'm gonna try to talk like a southern person it just rubs off on you and so I was very open to letting other people's personalities and quirkiness like rub off on me because I found that, you know, they were accepted by others and 
I thought they were funny. So um, I don't know, again, if I chose to do it, but it just, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Other people's personalities kind of, we rub off on each other a bit. And, you know, two best friends, they will almost mirror each other in just their, their uh, body language, gestures, and, and the words that they choose. So, um, what, what I do today more than I used to do is, is I absorb the, um, I absorb, I can't think of the word. I absorb the, um, successful traits of other people. If, if I see people in the program and they say, um, I get on my knees every night before I go to bed and uh, be grateful for my sobriety and that I'm still here. I didn't do it right away, but when I really watched that person and saw how happy uh, and free they were from from just their own uh, demons, you know, then I decided, oh, maybe I should do that too. Or I see somebody who is meditating and they just really have a calm feeling about them. Uh, then I decided, you know, I'm going to try to meditate some more. And... And so I feel that as I continue to get sober, I'm absorbing the characteristics and personalities and traits of the people around me who are sober. I also needed to go to an addiction therapist and by doing that, this also I feel was a pivotal moment in me starting to change who I was. I didn't know that's what was happening, but after the fact, I see what that, what impact that had on me. And when I sat with this addiction therapist, we talked about, you know, classic therapists where they're like talking about your childhood and, and different uh, relationships that you have in your life and, and what your perspective is of those people, places and things and of those uh, memories, the memories, the experiences, the relationships. And they are able to start being able to understand who you are better. Um, what has built the foundation of who you are and the choices that you make today. And as I would talk through these memories that I had and the relationships that I have, I, I was able to be open and willing 
to understand that my perception of these memories is very much based on other experiences and memories. And as we would talk about it, for example, we talked about my relationship with my brother. And I felt that, you know, when my brother, I if you're listening, I love you, brother. I felt like when my brother graduated from college and he moved to the West Coast, like immediately, he jumped in his VW bus with his dog Bob and they drove across the United States and um, and took root out there in Lake Tahoe um, and he has lived thus far he lived out there in that area um, until he retired from our business and now lives in um, in the beautiful state of Montana but I was telling my therapist that I felt like I was abandoned I had extreme abandonment issues when I first got sober extreme like my son had just gone off to college and I related that to my brother going off to the West Coast it was extremely painful for me and the way I dealt with it was I stopped communicating um, when my son went to college, I actually shied away from communicating to him. And it was, I felt like not, it wasn't his fault. It's just my own, um, feeling that I had built around when somebody leaves that they never come back. Um, I, I named for my therapist everybody who has left in my life and never come back. Everybody. And, and that's what it ended up being. It was everybody. I gave an example of everybody who left and didn't come back except for my mom. She was the only one that never left. And so the more we were, were able to talk about that fear of abandonment, the more she was able to encourage me to see that nobody ever abandoned me. These people never abandoned me. I chose to not reach out to them. Like, it doesn't matter that they didn't reach out to me. I mean, it, it matters, of course. Um, but just as much as they didn't reach out to me, I didn't reach out to them. Like relationships are two ways. And once she opened my eyes to that, I was able to start reaching out to people and not being afraid that I wasn't going to be accepted 
or afraid that these people weren't going to meet my expectations, that I was going to be let down. I stopped feeling that way. And my relationships with everybody have improved since then. When I stopped waiting for people to reach out to me and started reaching out to them when I'm thinking of them, it, it, my whole life, it was like a 180. It was a 180. And I, I talked about the other day on my baking episode about how I also, uh, throughout my life, never used to invite uh, people over. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't invite people to come over and play. I expected them to invite me over. And the same holds true in this um, communication as an adult, that I wait for people to contact me. And I don't need to do that. That it's, I'm responsible for my own happiness. And I'm responsible for my relationships. Other people are not responsible for my relationships. So I've learned and just another way of, of changing who I am and how I behave. And um, as I've changed, the way that I see the world has changed. And the way that the world impacts me has changed. The way that people, other people impact me has changed. And it's progress, not perfection. You know, I, 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 I still can feel hurt, of course, by other people. But, um, you know, these other habits and suggestions that I've learned in my sobriety program have helped me um, in other ways around these, these, um, these painful experiences we have with other people. And so um, just to finish it off, I was thinking of an analogy of what I feel like now as far as it's not just, yeah, it's, it's not just how I behave, but it's, it's what's going on on the inside. And I no longer feel so much like, um, like I'm severely damaged when something happens to me, when somebody may say something hurtful to me, or when somebody maybe even unintentionally um, hurt me. I'm not so permanently damaged from that. And so the analogy I was thinking of was if I were a piece of Play-Doh, a, a big lump of Play-Doh, when I was drinking and uh, in the beginning of my sobriety, when I was more walking around like this open wound, like so fearful without the alcohol that I was going to be severely hurt um, by other people, I, I was like a big wad of Play-Doh. And if somebody said something to me that was 
maybe not even intentionally hurtful, but I interpreted it as, you know, hurtful or it hurt my feelings. It was like if you just punched the side of a wad of Play-Doh and it just left a big indent. And today, I'm still that Play-Doh because I still am molding myself every day. It's a continuous journey and I'm being molded uh, constantly into who I am. And who I am 10 years from now is going to be different than who I am today. And I picture myself um, today like I've talked about picturing myself in when I'm really anxious, being sitting in like God's hands, like sitting in these gigantic hands. And so if I were Play-Doh, then it's like God's hands are just gently molding me every day throughout the journey. And every time I learn something new, every time I get vulnerable, and every time that I'm in a situation where I'm fearful, um, I try to I try to shift my mindset and I'm getting fairly good at it, but I'm not perfect at thinking, switching from fear to opportunity and thinking this is an opportunity for me to learn and it's going to suck. Sometimes it sucks when I'm like this, this molding, uh, however God is going to mold me today is is gonna suck and I might not want to be molded that way and be resistant but um, but nonetheless I'm gonna be molded it's out of my control and um, and when I get to the other side of it um, without a doubt I'm always grateful for this new perspective that I have on things so um, that's what I have to share with you today, and um, I finally got to record bright and early in the morning. I know you're impressed. I'm impressed with me. Um, so thank you for uh, for listening and uh, share this with a friend. Don't forget to click follow, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.